Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 3 of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all and lived to tell the tale, sharing expert tips from the best of the best in the burnout and stress management fields, and sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes full of my own expertise plus actionable steps to help you end your own burnout cycle starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and need more personalized guidance, I'm here for you. In every episode, you'll find a link to book a free breakthrough burnout call. You can find it easily by heading to bit.ly forward slash call Kate or finding the link in the show notes. This free call helps us decide if one-on-one coaching is perfect for you. If it is, we'll get started. If it isn't, I might suggest one of my immediately available online courses, my book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, or some sessions with a colleague who's better suited to exactly what you need right now. Also, if you happen to be in New York City, I'd love to see you as a patient. I'm a licensed acupuncturist with over 13 years of international experience, and right now my office is located in Midtown Manhattan. I focus on, you guessed it, burnout. I help your body build up a natural stress resilience to fight off all those pesky symptoms that come alongside burnout. You can find all the deets on that at katedonovanacupuncture.com. Hello, fried fans. We are here this week with a fellow acupuncturist, question mark, not really a question mark, but that's not what she does on a day-to-day basis anymore. Today, we're going to talk to Jade Duggan, who is a corporate culture and wellness expert who teaches soft skills with a massive return on investment to business and community teams. She's a high school dropout who helped the NSA communicate more effectively with the CIA and saved Pepsi's culture merge when purchasing Gatorade. Jade Duggan is the creator of the Duggan Method and offers virtual and in-person leadership programs, as well as on-site trainings for companies. She is the proud keeper of America's legacy of transformative leadership, social change, and alternative medicine. Jade, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's good to finally get to hang out with you this way. I know. We've been hanging out online for a long time. A couple mm-hmm. years, probably. Yeah. But now we get to hang out in, well, also online, <laughs> but more in person. So we start every episode of Fried with a burnout story from your life. A lot of people have multiples, but a burnout story from your life. And we'll use that as our springboard for the rest of our conversation. We have a lot to talk about today, so I'm just going to let you jump on in. So I think the most I was saying before that I, it turns out I've, I've probably hit burnout a couple of times. Um, and you know, both times it was actually out of sort of parenting (laughs) intensity. Um, and the first time, um, which I'll just touch was I was single parenting my first child. I had moved, you know, I was living on my own and I was working and commuting and not living near family support. And I remember thinking to myself, if I don't get some help soon, I'm going to die. And I was in the hospital with meningitis within two weeks. And that's how I weaned him, actually. (laughs) So it's really kind of intense. Um, And it was interesting because I hadn't thought about that until coming onto this podcast and you were asking about burnout. And I was thinking, I often think about the next time that I really was when I really kind of learned more about the process for myself. Mm -hmm. 
um, which was after my third child was born and I was, I was working, I was in grad school, I was like starting all kinds of things. And up until then, so this is my third child, I had sort of thrown them on my back and kept it moving. So I planned to be back in, you know, classes, uh, with her strapped to my body within a week or two, because that's kind of how I had always rolled. And, um, within a few weeks of her birth, my oldest had some kind of a skin condition and we ended up in the emergency room. Um, I began having panic attacks. I, um, and he ended up with some kind of long-term thing that I went to all of these doctors for that said, and then the other kid got a version of it. They both had scarlet fever. fever. It was, I mean, whatever. It was so intense. And Oh, and in the middle of it, I was, um, so I was finishing grad school at the time and it was, we were taking um, pathology, right? Red flags and, you know, and and diagnosing pathology and MRSA had just come out in like community spread. So I had a kindergartner, right? So I had a kindergartner in public school and they were sending home these things about MRSA and I had a, I said a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a six-week-old basically, um, community spread MRSA, a child with a skin condition that they didn't diagnose as MRSA, but they didn't really know what it was and cascade of things. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm like six weeks postpartum. Um, I'm having panic attacks. I can't eat. I'm constantly nauseous. I end up with an inner ear infection. I'm like, you know, it's just the whole gamut of things. And I, uh, I mean, I really didn't even know how I was going to make it through. Um, and I actually did take a little bit of time off from school, but I stayed in, I think I stayed in clinic. Um, but it was very weird, like how I could, I could only take a trimester off and they really weren't going to let me stay in the clinic. And, uh, so it's just a really, really intense time. And, you know, I had access to everything. I'm literally come from a family of world-class acupuncturists. I have uncles who are the best herbalists on the planet. I mean, I have people in who know from esoteria to actual functional medicine stuff. I, homeopaths, well, I went to all of these people to sort of help me through this time. And at some point, even my dad was like, go get some Xanax. Um, and I was too stubborn to do it actually. Yeah. And it was difficult. It was a difficult time for our family. Um, but also in retrospect, it it was also the thing that allowed me to be where I am today and allows me to do what I do. In what way? So it, you know, I wish I could say, right. And I think you probably hear this a lot. Um, I wish I could say that like, oh, I hit on the one thing, right. I like, like I finally cleaned up my diet and then my gut biome rebalanced and, you know, but that's not really what and happened. Ding! No. Like a little commercial, like the, the shiny bubble just popped. No. And, and like for a little context too, even before my third baby was born, I had, um, right after the meningitis, I had, I had uh, migraines and I had lots of other sort of things. And, but I had learned before I'd gotten pregnant with her, that if I caught the headache very early on, when it was just a little bit of um, tension in the back of my neck, if I was really adamant about taking either a nap or laying down and meditating and drawing my, you know, 
as we would say as acupuncturists, my chi down lower in my body, bring my awareness further down to my body and really anchoring myself that way that I could most of the time not have migraines. But once I was pregnant with my third baby, um, I just did not have that capacity anymore. And it was very humbling also to be an acupuncturist, to be in acupuncture school, to be um, in a family of, of like of acupuncturists and to have the sense of not knowing how to mitigate or navigate. So, you know, which was an unnecessary layer, which of course added to the the burnouty part of it in some yeah. way. Um, but in the long run, what really happened was um, I got to learn a lot of things about how my body and my brain and the interrelationship of not just like that, what I think matters, but that it's a moment to moment practice. What is a moment to moment practice? So for me, um, it's like, even right now while I'm talking, there's like a little sensation just above my belly button, kind of in the center of my body. And it can kind of get like a little swirly. And if I pay attention to that, I know something about that language now. So that I built out of that time of intensity because I, I, I got to a place where I didn't trust my my instincts, right? People say, trust your gut, but I couldn't trust my gut because I was anxious all the time. Yeah. Um, and my gut was constantly uncomfortable. Yeah. And so I actually had to learn really to observe. I had to relearn how my body really worked. So, um, so when I say moment to moment, it was actually recognizing I didn't have hunger signals anymore. I had to learn that sometimes nausea was my key, was my indicator that it had been too long since I'd eaten. Um, that feeling a little nervous was an indicator that maybe, you know, so that I was upset about something. Um, I learned that often if I had a a swirliness like that, but was bigger, that I was worried about something with my kids that I had not brought to the surface of my consciousness yet. Mm -hmm. So you learned how to have, relearned how to have a conversation with your body. Yeah, in like a very, very nuanced but rigorous way. And it wasn't until actually a couple of years later, because, you know, we're good. Humans are so good at this. Like we function. I functioned. Right. I went back to school. I kept raising the babies. You know, my, you know, like my husband sort of and I made do. Like we did okay. We figured it out. I started a business. I did all kinds of things. On the surface, it looked like I was incredibly successful. I was, I mean, you know, and this is also this tricky thing of like, when you're burning out, it's not like all day, every day you feel crap. It's sometimes you feel really crap. Sometimes you're like, oh, wait, this is cool. This is life. I'm okay. Maybe, right? Depends on who you are. For me, that's how it went. (laughs) For me, that's how it went. Um, But I did all the things and it wasn't actually though until I realized I was not, um, it was actually... Um, cause I was making do, I was right. I was doing the, the business. I had the three kids. They were, you know, we were doing all the things, uh, and I was learning how to treat my patients better, but at home, like my husband and I were like, we, we weren't having a lot of sex. Like there was just like, it was kind of just like making do. And, and, uh, I think I was mad at him too, a lot. Cause I, I kind of had this idea and this is also for me, 
is it me not having resilience? Is it the universe, right? Is it the systems? What, all, how are all these things fitting together? And I think I, um, I had some of them kind of co- collapsed even in my own body, mm. right? I would go into the kitchen, right? You've got three small children and there's dishes all, everywhere all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had a business that had 16 practitioners and, you know, three full-time employees. Like, it was a full life and I would go into the kitchen and I would see a pile of dishes and my body, right? My body would respond and I wouldn't even recognize it. So I got really rigorous because he finally actually said, and he's super good. He just like, he, he puts up with me with all kinds of things, but he was like, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. This isn't real. This isn't working. And that was the moment where I was like, Ooh, Okay. And it was like, it doesn't matter if the, if you've got a 12 hour day and you're coming home to people who will jump on you and, and need you for another four and a half hours to be on. I don't care what it is. You don't open the door handle until you've got your body situated and calm until you're ready to be fully present to these babies. You do not ask anybody or yell at anybody about the dishes until you go sit your butt on the stairs and figure out what it is you want to be different in the world. And then you either make a request and you honor the fact that he's a grown ass man who can answer you cleanly because otherwise I also was like dishonoring. I was making excuses. He's too busy, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. Don't decide for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, but I was doing all of those things in the background of like still, I was still just doing them and they were subtle. And, you know, like I said, on the, on, it was, I was, I was already being a pretty effective human and I had gotten myself out of the major intensity of anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. But I hadn't gotten to the point where I was really taking, um, you know, taking charge of, of my life being what I had intended it to be. Yeah. So I want to roll back a little bit because something that you said is really important to me in my work and something that like makes me crazy in the world of online mm, offers and services, there's not an answer. There's not an answer to burnout. You had, you know, access to herbalists and acupuncturists and, you know, homeopathy, and you had, you had access to all of these things and it wasn't necessarily enough. And that doesn't mean that acupuncture doesn't work. And it doesn't mean that these things are not helpful. It just means that the picture is more complicated than that. Sometimes it's not only your diet. It's not only your mindset. It's not only your, it's not only, it's not only, it's not only the thing that I see the most frequently. And the thing that I focus on so often with my clients is there's a massive disconnect, just like you're talking about between what's going on in your head, how you're perceiving your world and what's actually happening in your body. Yeah. What is actually going on in there? How do you know when you feel joy? What does that sound like in your body? What does that feel like in your body when you have resentment because a boundary has been crossed before you decide whether the boundary has been crossed, you know, how and who you should talk to, you need to know if you stepped out of your own body or if somebody stepped in. Right. We need to figure this stuff out and we don't know these things until we start feeling them, but we are so accustomed and we learn all of our schooling is for our brains. I feel grateful that some of my schooling was not. Right. Um, As an acupuncturist, you mean? 
You know, I don't know for sure whether it's because I think you can learn acupuncture in a very disembodied way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. You know, I mean, I trained lots of, right? We were in a school and, but um, my mentor, my father's mentor, who was then my mentor, Ivan Illich, um, social critic, historian, um, you know, he would, you would think of him in the tradition of like the vernacular or Paulo Freire. So he's like a kind of like, okay, people don't come and think you can teach other people what to do. Right. And yeah. so he was really kind of in opposition to this um, life as pedagogy, right? Like, yeah. and, and sort of saying, he, the first thing he said to me, I quit high school and I went to live with him in Germany. And two days in, I said something like, I'm learning so much from you. And he slammed his fist on the table and he said, you're not learning, you're living. You only think that because you've been schooled since you were four years old. And that has just been really important to me. And so it's one of the things where I've been grateful that as, as my father's mentor, my father was really adamant not to get into the theory too much, but to stay in the body mm. and to really stay in the senses. And so I actually don't know how much that has to do with um, the acupuncture right. as much as it had to do with that particular that, mentor, that particular mentor, because they, they came together, I think, right. in, in, in the way he taught acupuncture, in the way that the school was was built around, right, which is, you yeah. know, if you think about five element tradition and all of that, yeah, it's sensory. Um, but the real adamant of don't spend too much time thinking about it, stay with the senses. Um, so now you do work like this, you know, we're talking about stuff and people are like, I have not communicated with my body in 45 years. I do not know what you're talking about. I what? And I know that you spend a lot of your time doing this kind of work in corporate America. Yeah. So we're going from people that are like, designed to be brains on feet and being like, by the way, you should feel into your body. And that what, how, what's the beginning of that process? Because I think that not only in that situation, but for people listening, they're like, wait, what? So what, like, how did I get here or no, how, how, how do we, how do we start the process of reconnecting oh, someone yeah. to their signals? So actually I, here's how I do it. Right. Because, um, not because difficulty is the most important thing in our life, but it's because it's where we are wired to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So actually the first thing I do with most people, especially if they really don't know where they're connected as I just say you know when was the last time in the past couple of days recently where you felt a little upset irritated right? and the first time we don't we don't go into something big you know not 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 your marriage dissolving and not your but <laughs> a shitty email yeah like you know and and really though take a minute and just go okay in the past couple of days where was there a moment where I just kind of wish the world was a little different than it is where was I standing? What time of day was it? Who was around? What actually happened? Did I get an email? Did my phone ring? Was it a text message? 
Was I on a Zoom call and I heard somebody's voice? Was I out and about and somebody's mask was weird? Um, and then I say, okay, so in that moment, how did you even know you were upset? And some people at this stage, right? A lot of people have done yoga or whatever it is, right? So some people will go, oh yes, I always carry my tension in my shoulders. And I go, okay, great. Is that what actually happened in that moment or not? And I make them walk back through it and I go, okay, some people really still can't. And they go, okay, well, how were you doing five or 10 minutes prior to that? Was your body all ready? Were you a little tired? Were you hungry? Were you? So what I, all I do is really, and, um, you know, when I was in a clinic, when I was a clinician, all I would do is we'd have a conversation and I would just go, how's your body right now? And then we'd just go on and let them talk. And then again, a little bit later in a different conversation, I go, how's your body right now? And they would go, right? So, cause it's not about me knowing, it's about them knowing. Um, and so I find that it's actually not that hard if you just keep highlighting the differential, because that's all I ever want. I don't actually care whether people feel good or bad. I want to know if they know where the dial is and how they're doing it. And so all I'm doing is ever bringing their awareness to where the dial is. Mm -hmm. um, like but, you know, I had people sitting in, I had a woman sitting in class one day and she had this ex thing going where it was like, um, like a Bell's palsy. Yeah. And it was literally changing depending on the topic. And I had a classroom of 30 students, right? I was teaching this, these skills, right? The sort of dug in method skills um, in a classroom setting to leaders. You know, in this case, it was mostly, mostly corporate, but probably a few small business owners too, um, mixed in with probably a couple of, you know, clinic owners or acupuncturists yeah. or something. Um, and it was just so visible and she didn't actually know what was happening. I wish I had it on, on camera because it was one of those things where it was like, you know, she could have ended up with years and years of something, but if she could learn where that where the dial is. story in the body was, yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm doing most of the time. I mean, it's, then I help them use it to do things, right? So yeah. it's like, it's actually quite a fun toy once you, once you understand how it works, <laughs> you get to do all kinds of things with it. For instance... Yeah, so for instance, um, I have a client. So actually right now, most of my clients are not corporate because one of the things that happened with corporate was, remember we were talking about this sort of systems versus internal, yeah. like resiliency is not enough inside a system that's broken in essence. Yeah, yeah. And so um, one of the things that I've, you know, privileged to be able to do at this stage was, is to say, okay, always looking for like the leverage points. So, okay, big companies, they can't change the whole system, but there are business models that are sustainable and human scale and really work. And so what I did was I started to work with companies that are more in like the three to $12 million range who are growing quickly, probably never think about organization development, would never think to hire me for that. You know, they might know what leadership development is, but to actually look at structuring their companies more organically, more human scale, more effectively, more efficiently, for the kind of business that they want to become. And for um, the and kind also, of scaling they want to do. Yeah, and also mission-based companies. So that these are people who, and so one of the things we do is we build into their business model a way for their, right, their business to actually sort of create an economic reparation of kind. Um, so all of that to say, one of these people is a, um, uh, an environmental consultant. 
right? She's amazing, amazing, brilliant, knows all kinds of things. She could probably solve California's wildfire problem in a season. No, like no joke. And it took me a minute to realize how, just how brilliant she was. Um, so I'm talking to her. She's hired me. We're a couple weeks in, not even. Um, oh, you know what? This then. So on a call, I said, how do you know when you're going to have a conversation and somebody's actually going to hire you to do this thing or they're not going to hire your company to do this thing? She said, oh, yeah, I actually know before I hop on the call with them. And I said, OK, well, how do you know? And because we've done this work, she said, yeah, I get this like little she called it a somersaulting sensation in her belly. She said, I get a somersaulting sensation in my belly before I get on the calls. And I said, Oh, well, that's interesting. Why don't you go and now, because she, um, most of her business comes from an online kind of marketplace. So I said, okay. And she's still pretty involved with the sales process. So I said, okay, why don't you go? And instead of just waiting until they're booking the call and seeing if you have that sensation, why don't you go and see who else is already in your sort of purview where you have a tiny hint of that same sensation. She booked three times as much business in the following week. And she just, she was, she was shocked. Now she's not shocked anymore. Cause she just, she actually, I mean, yeah, what she's done in the past couple of months is just stunning. It's really stunning and beautiful. I mean, she really on a mission to keep us from going underwater in the next 10 years. So yeah. uh, I'm happy that I can be able to, and that's the other thing is that I really love to, to take somebody who already has a lot of great sensory awareness. So she's, soil, right? She knows. Yeah. So it was really easy to to get in there with her and say, that's not how you know whether or not soil is appropriate to be planted. You know, because you know the smell of it, right? Yeah. Right. So I actually am also helping her train her company people to do, you know, to, to sort of get the nuances of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's brilliant to work with people who already have a body awareness. I don't actually do as much with people who are totally unaware of their body okay. sensations anymore. Um, but I train other people to do that, right? right? So I have I have dug in method trainers who spend all of their time, um, you know, just training people who really just starting the process of becoming body aware. But yeah. most of the people who come to me, um, they don't know the language around it, but they feel it. But they've been an opera singer, they've right. been a sniper, they've been right. a like a swimmer, a, right? A soil culture, right? Like there's somebody who's been using their um, sort of precise, they understand the, the, the nuance of preciseness and habit and repetitive habit and how that- And flow. And flow, right? So they, so they know something about how much that matters to impact along the way. Yeah. Do you find that the dials are in similar- places for people like do we have a lot of solar plexus dials a lot of heart dials you know uh like does people have dials in their knees do they do actually okay. so i <laughs> i used to do this 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 sort of exercise this this aware you know sensory most people would think of it as a meditation mm-hmm. um where i would sort of walk people through their five senses and i would say things like you know, well, can you still feel your fourth toe while you're smelling whatever you smell, right? Uh, and there was a woman whose fourth toe was literally, because she just started, she just busted out laughing when I said it. We were in a group setting at that point. And um, she just busted out laughing because apparently 
I had hit it that her fourth toe was one of her signals. And actually, it's one of the skills that I teach is for people to find five symptoms that they track. Yeah. And so, yeah, people have lots of things like there's a lot of solar plexus stuff, right? There's a lot of back of the neck stuff, um, you know, butt, right? Tension in the glutes. Um, But one of the things that I find that's really interesting that people don't often think of as body language are like, you know, little ticks. Yeah. So I'm, I'm tapping my nose for those of you listening. <laughs> uh, you know, there are people who they notice, I have a client right now, um, brilliant. She's going to change the face of how we do research ethically, seriously, uh, medical research. That's amazing. Um, but she, she didn't realize that when she plays with her ring, that she was almost always doing it while she was trying to sort out how to resolve a team conflict conversation. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of things that are, I think are, are sort of body language into like a personal, when I think of body language, I don't think of these sort of, you know, power poses thing. I think of the body what, speaking. Yeah, really just the unique language that is your body. And, uh, you know, for me, there's also these little tiny ones like, it's not necessarily all solar plexusy stuff, but it's like very close. I know that there's like a midline movement where when I'm like not curious in a conversation, when I've not fully present and I'm thinking about something else, my mid sec, my midline moves just slightly to one side. So you wrote on your website that you don't always or do much or not, maybe not always was the, was not the word you use that you don't often anymore work with acupuncturists because they're often stuck in theories. <laughs> I do. You know, so one of the things that I found, um, I, so organization development was also, there was a master's degree in transformative leadership and social change at the same acupuncture school. So I've always been sort of in this conversation. Um, but when I, when I opened my first business, which was a wellness center, but it was an intentionally going to train other acupuncturists so that I could count on them to stay in their senses because I was having trouble figuring out who to refer my clients to. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I couldn't quite count on acupuncturists trained anywhere to just do, even trained by, at our school. I couldn't necessarily. So I wanted to give another layer of that. And so I opened courses that were training acupuncturists side by side with business owners in these sort of sensory skills. It's sensory and communication skills actually is what I really do paired. But one of the things that kept happening was the acupuncturist would go and I would go, okay, well you can teach. Is it possible that you can, because one of the things that people come, I'm sure you get this, uh, is like, well, I'm on all day. I'm on all day. And I go, do you have to be on all day or could you sit all the way back in your chair like this and be just as effective, right? And so I would do this. I would sit in this body and I would like, and I would just go, I can be pretty effective teaching from this right here. right here. No worries. So I spend half my days, half sleep teaching very effectively. Want to learn how? Cool. And what would happen is the acupuncturist would go, Oh, like water. That's like water. And I would go, you know, oh, kidney. They need more kidney energy. Or the kidney and the heart's not talking. And I would go, oh my gosh, please shut up and go figure out what does that mean when you call your grandmother on the telephone? Yeah. 
And I don't want to hear anything about the theoretical translation of a of an ancient Chinese concept translated half-assed into English, translated half-assed through your Western construct of what the hell it means, ha translated again half-assed into, no, go sit in your body and tell me what it means when you can actually hear your grandmother and when you're upset because she's telling the same damn story again. Tell me what the difference is. That's what I want to know. And so that's where, when I said, you know, I found that acupuncturists invariably, I still watch myself do this too. Oh, I did it just when you were talking about your center moving. I said, oh, Jong Mai. Like, I was like, hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's so it's, it's, it's fine, but is it useful to, for me, the question is, is it useful to creating a culture that globally can hear each other? Because that's where we are right now. And, um, the idea that each of us have bodies and that somehow somebody owns the rights to how you experience your body and that we can't create a common language for it um, or that we don't already have a common language for it if we stay speaking from our senses, um, that that is something that is um, multicultural, that actually is builds... Um, it's the it's the true Esperanto. I don't know this word. <laughs> Esperanto is the um, the language that was created in order to be a common universal language. So it was really popular. I think it was it might have been in in the sixties or so, sixties and seventies. It became quite popular. It was actually created close to where my husband was born um in Poland but it's like a you know because of where people were located when they created it it was sort of a, a combination of Slavic and Latin languages and they tried to make a new sort of more basic common universal oh, way of communicating on this language that they figured everybody around the world would learn and it would be as easy as possible because it would be recognizable to a lot of different people because it would have pieces of a lot of different languages uh -huh. you know so that it's this whole idea of of having uh, a communal way to communicate because even you know the using your body is is one thing being able to express that to one another right the communication portion that's a whole different thing and i speak <laughs> a few languages and they, the words that i would be saying don't mean the same things in the different languages like sometimes my husband and I will be speaking and I'll want to sort of describe a particular emotion and I'll have to switch from Polish to English or English to Polish because there's a word in Polish that yeah means it more than the word in English it actually I hope for that in a way I actually really hope that we don't um, reduce language to a single language, but that right. we actually multiply language and mm -hmm. we use it to um, help each other learn more words. Because I think English is it, it, um, it's incredibly barren when it comes yes. to descriptors of, of sensation. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so I would actually really love if, you know, as we grow, I keep thinking, you know, like it or hate it or whatever, Clubhouse as an as a social media platform across a global network of humans mm. 
um, has the capacity to, well, A, right, it has listening, which is a, a whole other, right, it's podcasts, like it's a different way of, of being with someone mm. um, than, than text. But, um, but that there's some capacity there for us to learn to be with each other in a new way that includes sharing some language um, and that I do think, though, that sensory perception at least is universal to some extent. Yeah. You know, we, and, and some of us may not have all five of our senses available right. to us, but but we have some sense um, and we can, tra- you know, we, we, we can create mutual language around this that actually is where, you know, where is how we do change systems, actually. Right. We do change culture design by how we look at and is there a philosophy that's embedded in some language experiential that I don't have access to yet? What are, when you say that, what are you thinking of? Um, well, you said like there's some word that's more that thing in Polish, right? And I, uh, I love language. My mother was a linguist, you know, or had a background in, in linguistics. And we spent a lot of time in thinking about language. And I love learning languages. Um, and I recognize that there are things that I can even experience in another language that I can't experience in English. Yes. The body, right? My language invents the body I get to inhabit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I never get to talk about these things with people. (laughs) Well, this is what I'm doing in corporate, honestly, in corporate and in business. Oftentimes, really what I'm doing is I'm saying, you know, you leader person, right? I'm thinking of a particular woman I know who's, she's got a background in opera. She's been, right? She knows what it's like to be on stage. And I'm going, okay, which body mm. can you bring to this moment that has you like be effective for whatever, for the mission that you're, that's at hand for you. And in order to invent that body, you've got to have the capacity to, to experience some things in, in a lot of ways. And I always used to think that, so actually the day I brought my first baby home and I put him on the changing table and I looked and I started to describe the thing, the little mobile thing. And I shut down because I went, oh my gosh, as soon as I begin to describe his world, he will no longer get to experience it. Mm. Really? And I thought, maybe I just never speak. (laughs) Really? And then I thought, well, people are going to talk to him. Might as well be me. Yeah. Well, and there's sometimes people don't have the words to agree or disagree with. I think a large part of talking about burnout so consistently and having the podcast and talking to people about their experiences as coaching clients is telling people, letting people know, Hey, like this, this is actually a thing and having them be like, Oh, thank God. I didn't know that was a thing. Like I, I felt that that was a thing. And I say, well, yes, because now you, you can trust your, you can trust that because like you're what? right. Like what, what's a thing? Uh, that burnout that for instance, like when you're, you know, when you're burnt out and the, your prefrontal cortex is zapped and your amygdala is enlarged and your emotional reactions are, you don't you don't get that second that meditation tries to teach us between uh, to choose your reaction you just you just ping pong in and out of the brain right no filter 
Right. And so you turn into sometimes a jerk because you don't have a way to properly filter what's happening in your life. And when I explain that to people, they just kind of stop and say, oh my goodness, like I know, I, like I know that my reactions are not consummate with the thing that's happening in my life. But I didn't know that that was like actually real. Like I knew it was happening, but I thought I could fix it by thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And now that I know that it's a real thing that's happening, I can create a little bit more grace around it. I know that there's a plan to tap into it and use it differently. I know that there's an influence that I can have that will take some time to build. Yeah. But before I was just sitting around judging myself. So, right. so giving people the words sometimes also gives them freedom. So mm-hmm. it can jail people or. Right. Well, th- so the flip side of that right. same construct, you know, in my first, maybe my, one of my first lives, <laughs> I was a poet. <laughs> Which sounds crazy to say out loud. All right, I take that word back. I, I'm trying to get rid of it from my vocabulary. It's ableist, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Aren't we? Um, so, you know, I, I was writing poetry, and I had this image, and this was my image of language, too, was that if you could get... Have you ever seen, the, like, the limit of infinity, how yeah. that works, like, in calculus? So mm-hmm. I actually... <laughs> one of those strange people who loved calculus. I did horribly at it. I didn't do my homework, but I loved the ideas and the images and the way. And so, you know, if you could have an infinite number of words, you could close the gap between really understanding another human being's experience, which mm. to me is like God, right? It's like, how do I actually can like it, it you know, cause otherwise we're in our own skin suits and we cannot actually know anyone else's experience. Yeah. And yet, you know, we crave being understood. We crave that connection of feeling like somebody actually knows something about where we are. And I, I see this in so many spaces. I was actually just talking about it with somebody else in the space of, um, sometimes I coach other, uh, leadership diversity coaches in doing like work pretty high levels. And we were talking about how do we get right. These physicians who kind of run a big portion of all of the medical schools, you know, (laughs) together in their board, even to look at that chasm between each other and see if they can close that gap and get a little bit closer to maybe, maybe I can know a little bit more, but only if I can actually have more language around it, if I can listen a little bit closer, if I can actually get close enough to have the, the poetry of your existence in my own body in some way. Only if I can get close enough to have the poetry of your existence in my body in some way. Can we, we're going to leave that alone for a second. I don't know how many people have had that experience of someone else's poetry in their body. I know that moment and you used a word that I don't always use because I, I, I live outside of most religious constructs. So I don't always use the word God, but that to me is a moment of God. I, I'm surprised that I used it now that you've said it back. I realize I did. I don't, 
actually have. I don't even necessarily believe in in yeah, God in the way that most people would use the word light, connection, universe, all of those. What any of those love, light, you know, whatever. Again, words, language. Und- uh, yeah, the the unnameable, right? Yes, the un- the, the unnameable. Yeah. Which is so interesting because I spend so much time really going, well, you, right? There's no actual connection between us. No, you can say what you say and I invent what I invent. And then the flip side is also true. Yeah. (laughs) I say what I say and it's medicine in your body, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Whether I like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And living in the paradox of that is, yeah. I think living in the paradox, I think this is one of the things that, um, that Taoism and, and the founding of Chinese medicine got so correct. Yeah. The Tai Chi symbol, symbol comes up constantly in my world, constantly. Mm-hmm. The Tai Chi symbol for everybody else is the, the yin yang symbol, but it comes up constantly. We are never separate. Yeah. We are never quite together. There is a seed of me within you and a seed of you within me and they are separate but within yeah there's so much if if the ability i believe to hold a paradox is one of the ways that we heal from burnout absolutely yeah i absolutely concur and if anything i probably say this about a lot of things but if anything i feel like that is what i'm helping people to do is to say well yes you you don't have any say in the outcome Right. Right. We could die in the next moment. Who knows? Yep. And given that we don't know whether that will be, what will I do that will leave, you know, that in 20 years will matter if I continue to do it this way? (laughs) Or will matter if I die in a minute, right? Actually. Yeah. Yeah. What's the practice I can have that holds both? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, this, um, my own burnout really was the result of a lot of rules and a lot of shoulds Mm. and a lot of there's a there's a right way and there's a wrong way and there's a there was no space for gray Mm. and now I feel like my whole world is gray (laughs) people are like this is right and other people are like this is right and I'm like "Mm." (laughs) what is right anyhow (laughs) yeah I don't know hey gray a lot of it I, for me, I'm fascinated by the interplay, right? I almost named my company Three Consulting because it's, right, the one, right, which is like all of the everything. Yes. Whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? Like just the everything of everythingness. And, you know, the the quantum mechanics level, right, is my chaos pendulum. The quantum mechanics level, right, the soup, the quantum soup, as it were. And then the paradox. And then, and then in order for us to even see it, right, there has to be two. Right. Right? And so, but then... The movement is in the between. It's just the movement between and just to be able to keep looking at, well, well, where's the movement happening? You know, that's all I did as an acupuncturist was, well, is there movement here? Can you find where the movement is? And if so, then you're not stuck. Okay. And now you know how to, now that you know how to unstick, you get to decide which direction you go at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is there one way that's more right than the other for, for you? In this moment, maybe yes. Maybe. You know, <laughs> well, for, for business though, and this is one of the reasons I actually love business because yeah. I find that doing this with individuals, 
who may or may not have um, sort of an aim. Yeah. Sometimes it can become like like a little bit of a navel gazing, right? Yeah. It's a lot of good skills, but to practice for for the sake of for more what? what? And I think there's like that dynamic tension is actually really useful. Right? It's what keeps us upright. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> literally. 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 Yeah. 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 And so like for me, for businesses, that's what I'm constantly doing actually is going, right? There's nowhere to go. We're right here. It's fine. We're here. And actually there is some place over here. And so how do we wrap the, our presence so that when we're directing that next choice, that, that, that direction is, is headed that way? with as much presence and simplicity as possible. Right. I have a feeling that there's a few people listening that are going simplicity. <laughs> it is though. I find yes. it incredibly simple to go, well, there's no right or wrong. I'm going to make a choice right now. And yeah, if I, I think that's it in the really direction difficult of... for people, don't you think? For a lot of people? I mean, sure. It's difficult for me some days. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I just, yeah. just have to, you know, I work with a lot of people that have a hard time with decision making, right? Because they're not sure what's right. Uh, well, again, right. Part of the work for me is moment by moment to go, there is no right. I also start with a premise of, right. Uh, I don't know if I can curse here, but you know, you mess yeah, you up your kids. Right. So one of the yeah. things right, when working with other people who have children, they're like, right, that's a big one for people. Yeah. It's a moral quandary. If I mess it up and do it wrong with my kid, you're going to fuck it up at some level. I, I just start with, no, nope, you've already fucked them up. The fact yeah. that I spoke to him in the first place means I already <laughs> fucked him up. It's done. <laughs> Once it's done, it's done. So, you know, and so when I start from that place, yeah. The other, you know what, there's a, there was a lesson. I think this is a really good burnout lesson for me, for, for me too. Um, when I was in acupuncture school, we were doing point location labs and, um, you know, you have to draw this circle, right? To like find this thing in this way, you've never found things in your life. You find this thing, you draw the circle and you like, and you have to do it within three minutes or whatever it is. And you got a partner and I understand. I grew up with acupuncturists. I was on the floor of acupuncture treatments. My mother was treating somebody who drove her to the hospital when I was born. So in theory, in theory, I should be good at this, right? <laughs> so here I am. I'm like, I don't know, 29 years old or something. I'm in acupuncture school. I'm in point location lab and I can't get these points like to save my life. And meanwhile, my partner is like, boom, 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 draws a circle, gets it every time. And I thought, I was just like, how are you doing this? And she went, I never go for the A. I always go for the B. Mm. <laughs> so it's like your shoulds. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So I, you know, so I, I have, that's been a big lesson for me along the way is, you know, I, I had a, big piece of like ripped cardboard when I was building my first business that just said perfection is the enemy of done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in perfection, it just getting back to the like paradox of things, as soon as you choose something that's perfect, like you're going it, to, it's wrong in some way. <laughs> so you never get there. Right. And this is, this is, was a really another kind of big issue for me, especially I think it's still an issue for me really around food and things like that, because I feel like you can put anything in front of me, any meal. And I can tell you in what way it's crappy for you and in what way it's beneficial to you. 
on on some human spiritual level one way or the other like i can i can tell it doesn't matter what the meal is <laughs> right so i feel like this this happened so much in my life that i i could very easily say like well this is a good option and a bad option no matter what you, you know, when you're saying it, what's actually coming to my mind is, so I, my parents were both acupuncturists, but also divorced when I was pretty young, continued to work together. And in my dad's house, the idea was, if you've got any mucus, you don't eat dairy because right. it produces phlegm, right? In my mom's house, it was, you eat whatever nourishes your soul. <laughs> literally that was right. like if that's what makes you feel good you eat it and, it and then his house it was you don't do it when it's phlegmy right which of course was not a hard and fast rule because he was living in a paradox he was good at that my mother's actually the the sole thing she was much more hard and fast about that rule than anyone like <laughs> um I never found out the answer. There's no answer, right? right? What I have to be with is like to be riding the waves so that I can see when, you know, there were there came a time when I was very, right? When I was in this burnout space where I was mucusy all the time, I couldn't figure out what was going on. There was, you know, and all the acupuncturists were telling me there was phlegm misting my mind and, sh you know, whatever. And, but I love, you know, I also had three babies and I like coffee and I had to have some milk in it and I was scared to have my milk in it. And at some point I had to just go, just have the coffee. It probably won't kill you. And like allow myself to just experience it rather than to be again in the theoretical conversation versus the real reality of the conversation, which is, I think in a way, the, the benefit of having to grow up between those two paradigms was that it forced me to actually be in the, well, let me just see. Yeah. Let me just keep seeing. <laughs> let me just keep experimenting. My husband and I were talking about this this morning because we were, we row a few times a week in the morning at a rowing club. This, we are not, I wouldn't say we are rowers. We started doing this six months ago. This is a new, this is a, a whole new journey that we're on right now. And we're having a great time with it, but we were doing sprints this morning. And so she was asking us, the coach was asking us to up our strokes per minute. And I like doing that because for me, when I do things too quickly, faster than my actual technical skill allows me right now. It shows me where my technical skill is off. And to me, it's like a little fun game. I'm like, oh, this is what's happening during that thing. My husband doesn't like to move up into new things until he's perfected the level before because it makes him feel uncomfortable that he's doing something, he's doing it incorrectly. Yeah. So we spent our whole car ride home talking about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is this like, this is good for you, but not good for me. And neither of us are correct and neither of us are wrong. Right. It's just different ways of doing it, right? We each have our own way of, of, of like what actually allows us to be more like really more effective in ourselves and our body and our learning and our, you know, as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. We thank goodness we're not all the same. Oh God, how boring would that be? <laughs> I do in New York City, like, so like rowing in the like East River? No, we're, we um, live in Jersey. So we're on the Passaic. Okay. It's not lovely. It's not lovely. No. <laughs> it's not like a scenic Harvard no, rowing club. It's right by a highway. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So Jade, we went through an hour like this. 
We did. Like time just such a pleasure. Flew right past. I just wanted to ask if there's anything that you would like to leave people with, people that are listening and saying like, yeah, I'd love to talk to my body more. I mean, this is the part where I go, well, you already are, you're already talking with your body. And what, like, how are you interpreting it? Or are you able to just listen and keep coming back to what I find is we're often listening, like to like, we get to into like tunnel vision where we're like, Oh my gosh, my body, my belly feels weird. Why is my body, what's my belly feeling weird? What's it trying to tell me now? Which is not the same as a conversation. You wouldn't talk to, right? I, I wouldn't talk to you that way. <laughs> Caitlin, what do you want from me? What are we here for? You better tell me now. <laughs> what is the purpose of this? Why are we doing this? <laughs> so I think that would be really, it's like to say, could you allow your conversation to, with your body to really be... Um, not just more intentional, but like loving, <laughs> even <laughs> whatever yeah, that learning. means. Yeah. But practical also. Yeah. And I really think for me, a lot of it's like, you know, if I had something to offer, it would be, is this what you're actually experiencing or is it what you read in a book? Is it what you think you're supposed to be experiencing? Is what, right, is it should from somewhere else or... Like what actually, if you listen to your body, like if I didn't have the label, if I didn't have the label of burnout, or I didn't have a label of anger, or I didn't have the label of depression or whatever it was, what's the experience I'm having right now? And when is the, when does that experience change even just a little tiny bit? Have I been at a five with this experience for the past seven days? Have I moved from a five to a seven? What do I know about that? That's the question I would ask. What do I know about how I already have even the tiniest variability? Just get real curious with that. Curiosity is one of my main fave things. So thank you for that. That was a beautiful ending. I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming and chatting with me and chatting with us and sharing your knowledge and all of that good stuff. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Caitlin. All right, fried fans, I want to be hearing on Instagram this week uh, what your body says to you. I can't wait to see what you come up with this time. Talk to you later.